0: this week on Hope for the Broken. Jesus being the good shepherd means that he is the absolute greatest shepherd. We tend to look at this passage as though it's about us, that God calls us his sheep, we are the sheep of his pasture, and we tend to think, okay, so we are sheep, therefore we need a good shepherd. And while that is a true statement, that is not the heart behind this passage. This passage is not about you and I as sheep, it's about the fact that Jesus is good. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel centered community redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called I Am. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part four titled I Am the Good Shepherd. Well, listen, we've been in a teaching series uh, entitled, I Am, as we're looking at the seven statements of Jesus that begin with the phrase, I Am. And these statements are teaching points that reveal who Jesus is. We learn a lot about who Jesus is in these statements and what he came to accomplish. And so far, we've talked about how Jesus is the bread of life. In in other words, he is the source of true, fulfilling life. Life. We also learned that Jesus is the light of the world. And not only is He the light of the world, but when He comes in the Holy Spirit and dwells the believers, the believers then become light too the world and we reflect the light of the world. And last week we talked about Jesus being the door to truth. He is the gatekeeper by which we identify things that are true and things that are false, like false teachers and, and things like that. And he protects us in that, in that manner. Today we're going to take a look at the fact that Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. So I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John. We're going to be in chapter 10. Last week, we looked at verses 1 through 10. Today, we're going to be in verses 11 through 18 as we take a look and pick apart what Jesus means when he says, I am the good shepherd. But primarily, we're going to talk about four things that make Jesus the good shepherd. They are affection, attention, availability, and authority. That will serve kind of as our outline this morning. But before we jump in, let's read all of those verses, all nine verses, verses 11 through 18 of John chapter 10. Jesus is speaking, and he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and fleece. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. And this charge I have received from my Father. Now, as we examine that, that Jesus says multiple times, I am the good shepherd, I think it's important for us to understand the word good. Because English doesn't do this justice. And we understand that, don't we? The limitation of the word good. When somebody comes to you and says, hey, how are you doing? What do we always say? I'm good. When you're really not good, right? But we say we're good. And we use this word flippantly a lot of times. And and as a result, it's kind of lost its power. It's lost its understanding of what it means to be good. Well, this word in the original language could be translated as honorable, uh, worthy, winsome. Beautiful, genuine, or even perfect. So when Jesus says that I am the good shepherd, he's not only stating that he is God by tying it to the statement, the phrase I am, but he's saying that he's the perfect shepherd for you and I. In other words, Jesus being the good shepherd means that he is the absolute greatest shepherd. And knowing the true meaning behind this word good helps us understand that because we tend to look at this passage as though it's about us. We tend to look at this passage and say, like we talked about last week, that, that uh, God calls us his sheep. We are the sheep of his pasture, right? We, we studied that last week and we tend to think, okay, so we are sheep, sheep are dumb, therefore we need a good shepherd. And while that is a true statement, that is not the heart behind this passage, This passage is not about you and I as sheep. It's about the fact that Jesus is good, that Jesus is perfect, that Jesus is worthy. And therefore, we should have a desire to want to follow him. Because apart from him, we are led to death and destruction and all kinds of wickedness. That's the way our heart is bent. But when we follow the good shepherd, we are led in the things of goodness See, the passage is not about the foolishness of the sheep, but the faithfulness of the shepherd. Uh, another grammatical note that's worthy of consideration as you study this passage uh, here this morning is the literal tra- translation from, from the first language, from the Greek language. Literally translated, it means this. Jesus says, I am the, sh- the shepherd, the good one. Right, And so reading it this way places the emphasis on Jesus being good, he is so good that he stands in a category of himself. Not only is he a shepherd, he fits that category, but he fits an even greater category, I'm the good one, right? As opposed to all the bad shepherds, but Jesus is the ultimate shepherd. It's the point that he is, is getting at. So the question then becomes, what makes Jesus so good? Like, why is it that Jesus is so good? Well, this is where the four characteristics come in to play that I mentioned earlier. So let's look at that. What makes Jesus the good shepherd? First is his affection. The the affection that Jesus shows makes him the shepherd that is perfect. Perhaps the greatest characteristic that draws someone to Jesus is the love that he demonstrates for us. He says in verse 11, he says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd does what? Lays down his life for his sheep. What does that mean? It means that he sacrifices for them. He looks to their interest, even above his own interest. And the greatest demonstration that Jesus loves you is the fact that he was willing to lay down his life for you. Think about the magnitude of Jesus' sacrifice for just a moment. Even in saying that I am the shepherd, equating himself to, to a shepherd. In Jesus' day, shepherding was reserved for the lowly right? Like the the forgotten, the runts of the family, they were given the task of shepherding sheep. And it was a 24-7, 365 kind of job. Simply put, this was an undesirable job. There was no vacation time, no sick pay, none of that. You were always on caring for these sheep. Not only was it undesirable, but it was extremely dangerous. It was a very dangerous profession. Think about one of the Bible's most uh, famous shepherds. Who do you think of? I think of King David, right? King David was uh, tending the sheep. He was shepherding. He was tending to his duties when Jesse brought all the other sons. Didn't even think about poor little old David because he's doing the scum of the earth job. And none of the, his boys were the one to be anointed as king of Israel, the next king of Israel. Oh, but David, the shepherd boy, was And the reason why I bring him up is to talk about how dangerous the profession of shepherding was. Remember when when the Israelites were facing the Philistines and the Philistines marched out a man by the name of Goliath, this giant of a man? All of Israel was trembling in their their armor, right? Except for David. And David said, I'll go take him, right? And King Saul turns to David and he asks him a question How are you so courageous? In the midst of this, what David says is he draws his attention back to being a shepherd and it highlights to us how dangerous this profession was. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 34 through 36, David says this, your servant, talking about himself, used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear, he took a lamb from the flock. But I went after it and I struck him and delivered that lamb from his mouth. And if he rose against me, well, I just caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Lions and bears. I'm out, right? Like, I don't, I don't do that. <laughs> I'm not going to go to the toe. And if the lion or bear turns on me, like, I'm not grabbing it by its beard. I'm instituting the principle just outrun the slowest person and you're good, right? That's that's what I'm thinking if I encounter lions and and bears. But David, no, he, he faced it. The point is to say this, that shepherding was not only undesirable, it was extremely dangerous. Yet this is the person that Jesus desires to be. He says, I've come to be the best shepherd. That's the greatest display of love. Listen, Jesus... Almighty God, the creator of the universe, stepped down out of glory, stooped into this broken world, and has come to do the job of shepherding. That's love. That's sacrifice. It's demonstrating his affection for you and for me, the lengths at which he would go. Now, all of that, and we haven't even talked about him being the atoning sacrifice for our sin. My point is, is that you see the, the all-encompassing aspect of Jesus claiming to be the good shepherd and the sacrifice that he shows for us. Why? What's his motivation? Just simply because he loves us. Uh, Romans 5, eight. But God shows his love. God demonstrates his affection for us. How? In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus quite literally laid down his life for you and for me. That's love. That's sacrifice. And that's what makes Jesus so good, his affection. Number two, his attention. His affection and his attention make him good. This is to say that Jesus gives us his full attention, his care. He truly cares. And he cares like no other person could ever care. Look at verses 12 through 15 again. Jesus says, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming. What does he do? He leaves. He leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand, and he cares nothing for the sheep. But then he contrasts that. He says, but I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and they know me, and just as my father knows me, and I know my father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. If there's one thing that sheep need, it's devoted, consistent, constant care. And Jesus provides that care. And he proves that he's unmatched in his care by contrasting his role with two other roles. He says that I'm not like the hired hand, and I'm certainly not like the wolf. I stand in a different category than those two things. So let's talk about those two things for just a moment. A hired hand is not an owner, he's an employee. He's a person that works for the shepherd. But at the end of the day, the hired hand, the employee, is only in it for one reason. The pay that he gets for doing the job that he does. In other words, his heart is not for the sheep. In fact, Jesus says he cares nothing for the sheep. And as a result, there is a limitation to the love that a hired hand would have. That's exactly opposite of Jesus. The hired hand says, I'm not putting down my life for what? Some sheep? Ain't no way. Ain't worth it. That's not my job. But the difference is that Jesus says, oh no, I'm the complete opposite. I will lay down my life because I love these sheep. What what does Jesus say? He says, I know my sheep. You see the ownership there? And we understand this in our day and time, like like the owner of a company thinks differently than the employees of the company, right? The employees are there punching a time clock. The owner is there that has the greatest amount at stake. And so they're going to care more. They're going to give more. They're going to sacrifice more. The employee is done at the end of the day and wants to punch the clock and get out of there and get paid for it. But the owner approaches it much differently. Same thing when we rent homes versus own homes. Renters care nothing about the home like the owner cares about the home. You see the difference. So the hired hand is a renter. Jesus is the owner. And as a result, he is willing to lay down his life and he cares for you on a whole nother plane. Listen, no one will love you the way Jesus loves you. No one will care for you more than the way Jesus cares for you. No one will defend you more than Jesus defends you. No one will fight for you like Jesus fights for you. He, he, is, he is all altogether on a different plane, and he cares for us. So that's a comparison to the hired hand. Then he says, what about the wolf? I'm the complete opposite of the wolf. Wolves are the most common predator to livestock. They're ferocious beasts, and their strategy is to isolate one of the lambs so that they can wear them out and then pounce on them at their weakest moment. Jesus says, guess what? You have an enemy, and he's more than a wolf. He's out to destroy you, to devour you. In fact, 1 Peter says that our enemy, the devil, roars around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And this wolf will take a sheep and run it apart from its flock so that it's isolated and alone, and then will pounce on it. And I think in much the same way, we need to realize that there is strength in remaining in the flock. Many times, life gets us down, and we have a tendency to disengage from the church, right? And we isolate ourselves, and when we do, beloved, we become easy prey for the enemy, Listen, don't dislodge because there is a wolf out to give you. Jesus says, no, I want you a part of the flock. Why? Because I can protect you. The flock can encourage you. And so it's extremely important. Jesus is the good shepherd. And listen, Jesus doesn't run from the devil. I know there was a a song written about this, but Jesus stands at the gates of hell and he won't back down. Like that's true. Not only will he not back down, but he goes toe-to-toe with the devil. He went toe-to-toe with the devil at the cross at Calvary. And just when the enemy thought that he won and that Jesus had died and was laid in a tomb, three days later he said, the grave has no hold on me. I'm getting out of there and I conquer sin, death, the grave, and even the enemy. Jesus defeated our sin. He defeated death. He defeated the grave. And therefore, we have victory in him. Jesus is our good shepherd. What makes him so good? It's his affection and his attention. Thirdly, it's his availability. Jesus is available. The good shepherd makes himself available. And what's more, he makes himself available to everyone. Look at verse 16. He says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. And I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. Remember who it is that Jesus is talking to here. He's talking to the religious leaders of the day. In John chapter 9, Jesus heals a blind man, and it creates so much commotion that the religious leaders wind up kicking the blind man who can now see out of the synagogue, right? They excommunicated him. And so Jesus is going toe to toe with these religious elite, these Pharisees, these hypocrites. And he's saying, Listen, listen, I've got sheep that aren't Jewish. I've come that the whole world might believe. I have sheep that are not of this fold, and I must gather them together so that there will be one flock and one shepherd. What Jesus is talking about is this. He's saying, listen, salvation isn't going to be just for the Jews. It's also for the Gentiles. And here's the power in that for us. Not only was Jesus to come just the nation of Israel, to save just the nation of Israel, he came to save some people in Mount Pleasant, Texas that were outside of that little fold. And if you are in Christ, then you are a part of the family of God. You are a part of the big C, the capital C church, where Jesus is the shepherd. And so that's what he's saying. And what's more, Jesus says that different folds will be together one day. We'll we'll all be together. Did you know that you have brothers and sisters on the other side of the globe that have already worshiped Jesus this morning? And you have brothers and sisters who will worship Jesus later on today. And they're a part of our family. We're all one big family, and one day we're going to be gathered with them in glory, praising the Lamb of God. And Revelation chapter 7 gives us a clue on that. Beginning in verse 9, it says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, And crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Listen, heaven is going to be so awesome. And it's not going to be in English. It's going to be in a whole bunch of different languages. And it's going to be amazing. And I can't wait to get there. And you, as someone who has surrendered to Jesus as Lord, you're a part of that family even now. The point is is that Jesus is the good shepherd because he makes himself, he's he's available to everyone. John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible. says this, For God so loved the what? The world. He's everybody. That he gave his one and only son. That who? Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Isn't that awesome? Jesus didn't just come for the Jews. He came from everyone. You know, I've heard people say, skeptics that will say, the reason why I'm not a Christian is because it's so narrow-minded. It's so exclusive. I mean, you say that there is only one way to God. How can you say that? That's so narrow-minded. When there are really good people that are just of a different faith, Christianity is not narrow-minded. Christianity is inclusive because the Bible says, Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Yes, there is but one way to get to heaven, but everybody can come through that way. Christianity is not narrow minded, it is very inclusive, available to all. So the good shepherd is good because of his affection, because of his attention, and because of his availability. Fourthly, because of his authority. Jesus is good because of his authority. Look at verses 17 and 18. He says, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Oh, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. And this charge I've received from my father. What is it that Jesus is talking about here? He's obviously talking about his death, his crucifixion, and his resurrection, right? That on the third day, that after laying down his life, he will take it up again. Now, there's a few key things about this authority to lay down and this authority to take back up. First, it means this, that Jesus' death was voluntary, It was voluntary. In other words, he willingly went to the cross. The plan from the beginning was Jesus to the cross. Verse 18, Jesus says this, make no mistake, no one takes my life. I want to share with you one of the commentators that I read this week, what they said. He said this, he said, Jesus is not a victim of human conspiracies. He was not a martyr whose life was ended as a tragedy. But rather, he obediently participates in the plan of God. And the sacrificial act of Jesus pointed to the saving work of God, not the attempt of Caiaphas and Pilate to end his life. Jesus was controlling the circumstances even that led to his very death. Why? Because he had to die. Why did he have to die? Because we're sinners and we needed atonement for our sin. And he also had to die so that he could raise again and prove that he was Lord over sin, death, and the grave. Jesus is not a recipient of human conspiracy. It's not a tragedy. It's a triumph. Jesus willingly went to the cross for you. Jesus willingly laid down his life for me. He took our place. That's the authority of Jesus. And it means that his death, his crucifixion, his atoning sacrifice was voluntary. Secondly, Jesus' authority means that he's alive today. If he has authority over death, then he has authority over life. And he lives today. Scripture teaches that Jesus never died a second death. What happened is is Jesus died. He was resurrected. That's Easter Sunday. He spent 40 days with his disciples. And then he ascended into heaven. And scripture says that he's there right now. He's very much so alive. He's in heaven. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father. So what is Jesus doing? now that he's seated at the right hand of the i mean is he like in his lazy boy with his legs kicked up like watching the events of the world no he's very busy so if he's very busy what is it that he's doing well hebrews chapter 7 verses 24 and 25 says this but he being jesus holds his priesthood permanently why because he continues forever Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives. What does he live to do? To make intercession for them. In other words, Jesus not only died for you, he not only raised for you, he not only ascended into heaven, but he's interceding for you. The direct line to God through Jesus Christ. Another note about the authority of Jesus here is that while Jesus is the ultimate authority, and one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that authority, that Jesus is Lord, while he is that, doesn't mean he's that for you. Jesus gives you the option To surrender to his authority in your life or to reject it? Listen, when Jesus is our Lord, when Jesus is our authority, he leads us into the things that are good. Why? Because he's the good shepherd. But left to the guidance of our own sinful hearts, we'll go down the path destined for sin, destruction, and enslavement to those sins. Jesus doesn't force his authority on us. He offers it to us. What happens when Jesus is our authority? 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 3 says it this way, So put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Do away with those things. Why? Because like newborn babies, we need to long for pure spiritual milk, that by it we may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. In other words, when you taste that Jesus is good and where he leads you is good, then you don't want to go down the path of your own heart's desires. You instead want to follow the good shepherd. What makes Jesus so good? It's his love, his affection, it's his care, His attention, it's His availability, and it's His authority. Why not follow the good shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup, it overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And because I'm yours, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at trinitytx.org. If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 930 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.